0: In today's episode of the Optimal CEO Podcast, I'll be sharing why some women have high testosterone and what kind of havoc it can wreak on their system when it occurs. So stay tuned to find out more. Here at the Optimal CEO Podcast, we help CEO entrepreneurs who love taking ownership of their wellness journey because they know it's their most prized investment. And when their state of wellness is at its peak, their income soars. We want to help relieve CEO entrepreneurs from the pressure of unnecessary health exposure so they can be highly focused on growing their business and physically optimized for the journey so they can enjoy getting there. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Brown, and I'd like to personally welcome you to today's podcast episode. Thank you for joining me. So when it comes to testosterone levels in women, there's a lot of confusion among women and also among health professionals. In fact, many health professionals don't quite know what to do when a woman has elevated testosterone levels. In fact, if you poll most medical providers, they will tell you that sometimes that just happens and it's nothing to be concerned about. However, I'm going to be talking to you today why this may occur and what actually may be happening. In the female body, there are several reasons why testosterone can be elevated. One of those is polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. Another is diabetes, whether it be type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes, and also adrenal dysfunction or adrenal disease. In this segment, I'm going to actually be focusing a lot on the silent epidemic, I call it a PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. I'll touch a little bit on diabetes because I'm talking about polycystic ovary syndrome and you'll see the link here in just a second, but I won't be focusing much on adrenal disease. In medicine, they teach us to actually look for the horses, not the zebras. In other words, look for the more common issues versus the less common issues because 90% of the time, it's gonna be the more common issue. The problem that we have when it comes to looking at women with PCOS and understanding that one of the primary characteristics we'll see when we look at a, a laboratory profile, when we draw blood on this person, is we'll typically see high testosterone level, whether it be total testosterone or free testosterone or high DHEA levels or high DHT levels. Any of those androgens can be out of balance. And you may have heard me speak previously when I I was talking about DHEA in previous podcast episodes about the link that if you see that elevated on routine lab work, that it could indicate that there's something like PCOS going on. Now, the current thinking is, is that you need to have elevation in all of your androgens, meaning your testosterone, your DHT, and your DHEA. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if if you look at the European research, European research says it may be one or numerous androgens that are elevated. And in some cases, if you've got somebody that's very physically fit and they're controlling their insulin very well, and I'll explain the linkage here in just a second, they may not have elevated androgens at all. Now, what happens when we see elevated testosterone or high testosterone In other words, what kind of havoc can it wreak on the female body and and the system? Well, and one of the main things we see is scalp hair loss or hair thinning, even to the point of male pattern baldness. And I know that sounds strange that a female can have male pattern baldness, but male pattern baldness is typically because of testosterone. So if you start seeing those types of thinning right in the front, right above the forehead or on the crown of the head that's highly suspicious that there could be elevated testosterone going on. Another issue is excess body hair, whether it be dark hair on the arms, uh, dark hair even on the chest or the back or the face. It can be an issue. So it's uh, this dichotomy of thinning hair on top and excess body hair on the body. Those are signs of high testosterone. Hair growth on the chin, again, it's that excess hair growth that, that we see or sideburns even, or the upper lip tend to be problematic for women. As clinicians, we shouldn't assume that there's nothing going on if we don't physically see that with our eyes. Because let's face it, with the advent of aesthetic clinics today, women can go and get that aesthetically taken care of with laser treatments and so on and so forth. So don't just assume that there's nothing going on. Ask. Have you had issues with this in the past? Another issue that we typically see with high testosterone is acne or persistent adult acne. Sometimes it can ebb and flow with the cycle. I'm not too terribly worried about that particular type of acne so much as I am cystic acne that occurs all the time. It may occur all the it it occurs all the time. It may or may not get worse during PMS. But acne is one of those big things. Oily skin, excessive oily skin may also be a sign that you have high testosterone, agitation, aggression, irritability, mood swings, significantly increased libido uh, or hypersexuality in early stages of high testosterone may be a problem, such as late teenage years or 20s. And then when you start getting into your 30s, you'll actually see testosterone levels are still high, but actually the libido is coming down. My thinking on that is, having worked with a lot of younger women in their 20s, I typically see that those, and following them over time, I typically see that their testosterone levels are so, uh, they're accustomed to having them so high in their 20s that when they get in their 30s and 40s, they're still elevated, but they're so much lower in comparison to where they were in their 20s that they start feeling this lull in their libido. So to us, the testosterone is still high. To them, it's not. Another thing with high testosterone is there can be irregular periods. You can skip periods, you can have extra periods, heavy periods, you can have clotting, and you can have absence of periods. Why does this happen? Well, it happens because there's a a hormone dysregulation that I'll explain in just a second related to insulin there can be increase in muscle mass change in body shape deepening of the voice or raspiness or hoarseness of the voice infertility that's generally not it's generally not associated with high testosterone but it is definitely associated with PCOS due to low progesterone so if i'm seeing somebody with high androgen or high testosterone symptoms like acne hair thinning excess body hair and they've had a history of infertility, my suspicion for PCOS or polycystic over syndrome goes through the roof and uh, increased risk for female cancers as well as diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and obesity. So high testosterone can definitely wreak a lot, a lot of havoc. Now, the problem we run into is that if a medical provider actually checks testosterone, they typically don't check DHEAS or the sulfate form. And they typically don't check free testosterone. It's important to check all three of those. I don't typically check DHT because if DHT is elevated, there are going to be skin manifestations. In other words, you're going to have hair thinning, excess hair growth on the body and or acne. So it's very telltale in and of itself versus the total testosterone, free testosterone, and DHEA needing to be checked. But quite frequently, you'll have a female pop into their general practitioner, and the medical provider, and they'll, they'll be telling their medical provider about the things that just aren't quite right. They seem a little anxious and irritable. They're cramping really bad around the time of their period. Their periods are off. And uh, they've had these skin issues like acne and, and facial hair growth and things like that. And it's just mild, but it's bothersome to them. And then, like I said, if a medical provider actually does check the correct levels, and they see that they're just a little bit elevated, there's typically nothing happens because they'll be on the high end of the normal range in, in that reference lab reference range. And I've talked about that numerous times in other podcast episodes of so how that is not that accurate. You just need to know the the ranges that women should fall in. And when you see them going beyond that, then it's kind of something to pay attention to. But typically either A, nothing will happen or B, you might have a, a medical provider say, Hey, you know, if the testosterone symptoms are bothering you that bad, why don't we put you on a birth control pill? Now, whatever your thoughts are on birth control pills, oral contraceptives for hormone balancing or not, it, it actually does work. It actually lowers testosterone. And I see it used quite effectively. In fact, younger clients, well, I don't treat many teenagers at all, and I don't treat many young 20-somethings. Usually my clients are closer to 30 and above. But if they do, or they are younger and they do have these symptoms, I will typically recommend a birth control pill. It tends to work really, really, really well. So let's focus on polycystic ovary syndrome because this is one of the main reasons that we can typically see testosterone elevated. Now, in the United States, PCOS has been recognized at a rate of about 3% of women of childbearing age. And childbearing age is a huge span of time. It's from the time that a a female starts having their period, around age 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up to menopause. So it can run into the 50s for some people. So you can be of childbearing age during that time. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say of childbearing age. So in the U.S., about 3% of the population. A couple of years ago, that got raised to about 5%. So we were recognizing it a little bit better. But when you look at the European guidelines for diagnosing PCOS, which, by the way, the rest of the world uses, we typically see uh, rates of close to 30% of women of childbearing age have have polycystic ovary syndrome. Now, the crazy thing is it, it boils down to diagnostic criteria, and there are a whole lot more symptoms on the diagnostic criteria list for the European guidelines than there are for the American guidelines. And that's really sad because we miss a lot of people. And if PCOS is left untreated, it can actually lead to type 2 diabetes and other complications related to type 2 diabetes, such as lipid disorders, high cholesterol, heart conditions, heart attacks, stroke, so on and so forth. So we want to stay away from that. We want to identify it early and get on top of it early. So if we see these females in clinic that have high testosterone, a suspicion is very high that there's PCOS going on. So the next thing you want to do is you want to look and see how much insulin resistance is there. And it's a simple test by checking a fasting blood sugar and a fasting insulin and running the ratio on that. Typically, I will say if a fasting insulin is over seven, it's problematic anyway. Um, So that being said, you want that fasting insulin to be 7 or under, and typically I'll see women with PCOS that'll have fasting insulins 20, 25, 35, 45, 50, sometimes 60 or 70, which is extremely high levels for insulin on a fasting patient. So you want to pay really close attention to that especially if their blood sugar is creeping up. And a lot of times women are are so diligent, they're much better than men at getting annual checkups done. And they typically have lab work that they've kept up with through the years. So you can look back at their lab work on their annual female exams and see that their blood sugar when they were in their 20s was 76 when it was fasting. And then the closer they approach to 30, it's going up to 91, 92. And the closer they get to 35, it's approaching 100 or a little bit more. And because it doesn't necessarily flag out as high, the clinician, uh, the medical provider, doesn't necessarily pick up on it. And nobody ever checks a fasting insulin, but very rarely do you ever see that done. And I will actually add a hemoglobin A1C, which gives us a 90-day average of what that blood sugar is doing. What I'm looking for is I'm looking to see how well that person is compensating for their elevations in blood sugar and elevations in insulin. And I'm looking to see how insulin resistant they are. When we take the total picture of what their hormones are doing, plus what their insulin status is like, we can then develop a picture and say, yes, this person has PCOS when we combine it with their historical symptoms that they come in with. So we definitely want to take a really close look at these females that come in with elevated testosterone. We don't need to as we say in the in the field, poo-poo that because it's something that could be detrimental in the long run. So stay on top of it, get on top of it. But the best way I've learned to do that is to teach women to be self-advocates for themselves so that they can ask their provider, their medical provider, if they're having these high testosterone symptoms, they can ask their medical provider, say, listen, would you check my dhea s?" And it's critical to put the S on the end of it, a free testosterone and a total testosterone level, and then see what those levels look like. If they're elevated, then automatically uh, suspect insulin resistance, whether they have symptoms of high testosterone or not. So that's it in a nutshell when it comes to high testosterone. It's not something to be overlooked. We wanna pay really close attention to it. wanna make sure that we're working with a provider that can help us tease through the nuances of these symptoms And then get on a plan that will actually help us monitor carbohydrates, watch very closely for insulin spikes, blood sugar spikes, and really get on a plan to make sure that we're taking care of the total patient, not just a patient with elevated testosterone, because it's a bigger picture than that. I, was, I said I was going to explain why testosterone and insulin are linked. Well, it goes something like this. When your blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up to bring the blood sugar down. So blood sugar, high blood sugar is very caustic to your system. Uh, think of it as like battery acid flowing through your veins. And that's probably a poor analogy, but you get the picture. It's very damaging to your organs and your blood vessels is what I'm trying to get to. And uh, when blood sugar stays up, insulin output goes up. There's this organ in your body called the pancreas. It puts out insulin and it spikes the insulin to get the blood sugar down. Well, the more blood sugar issues you have, the more insulin we have to put out in order to get the cells to listen correctly so we can manage this blood sugar. Over time, the pancreas loses the ability to to keep up with the demand on the production for insulin. And over time, the cells become more and more insulin resistant. Well, when that happens, a hormone called SHBG or sex hormone binding globulin, whose sole purpose is to control and put the brakes on the testosterone system or the androgen system, SHBG will go down. Well, when SHBG goes down, testosterone goes willy-nilly. DHEA goes willy-nilly, and so is DHT. So those levels go up because insulin and blood sugar have gone up, and that SHBG, that regulating hormone, has come down. So the way to stop that whole process is to make sure that we are eating a modified low-carbohydrate diet. I'm not saying no carbs. I don't agree with no carbs. I don't believe in totally eliminating macros, but we do need to modify and watch. Cutting out simple things like corn and white potatoes and sugar and dairy, and then any kind of sugary sweets and breads, wheat, those types of things that convert easily to sugar, like your body doesn't know the difference when you ingest those things between a teaspoon of sugar and the food that you just put in. So we have to monitor those things closely and get a really, really good handle on it. So I hope that helps understand the relationship between your hormones and your blood sugar and your insulin and vice versa. They're all interlinked. And when we're dealing with PCOS, it's not, as the name suggests, an ovarian syndrome issue. Really and truly, only 50% of women with PCOS have ovarian issues. It's an insulin dysregulation disorder, first and foremost, and it happens to cause ovarian issues in 50% of women. There's actually a movement in, on the worldwide stage, not in the United States, but on the worldwide stage, to rena- rename the disorder because polycystic ovary syndrome is just a horrible name. It denotes that there's only problems with the ovaries and nothing could be further from the truth. So that wraps up this segment about elevated testosterone, the havoc that it can wreak in the system and why we need to pay attention to it and how we can pay attention to it and what we can do to combat that. If you're listening in today, you're a high achiever. You're not feeling as good as you want to feel. Your energy's low. You've had issues with PCOS type symptoms or high androgen, high testosterone type symptoms. You don't quite know what to do. You may have even been told that it was elevated, but nobody did anything and you're wanting to feel better, you actually want to move from great to great, I would love to craft a custom-tailored wellness plan for you. Let's hop on a 15-minute strategy session. Go to uh, com. At the top of the page, you'll actually see a link that says work with Dr. B., click on that link, fill out the application. It's a short 23-question questionnaire, and we'll get the ball rolling as soon as you get that application completed and back to us. And we will I'll have my administrative assistant set up a time for us to talk. Otherwise, if you have any questions about this podcast episode, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at The Optimal CEO. If you're on LinkedIn, you can reach me at Dr. Brian G. Brown. I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Please tune in next time where I'm actually going to continue this talk about women's hormones. We're going to actually talk about low testosterone next week and what that entails and what that means to women who have low testosterone. Until next time, this is Dr. Brian Brown, the Optimal CEO, signing off. And I hope you have an optimal day. Here at the Optimal CEO Podcast, we help CEO entrepreneurs who love taking ownership of their wellness journey because they know it's their most prized investment and when their state of wellness is at its peak their income soars we want to help relieve ceo entrepreneurs from the pressure of unnecessary health exposure so they can be highly focused on growing their business and physically optimized for the journey so they can enjoy getting there